And my happiest day was the day with all my team, I put the theostat, I finished the surgery, and we said, that's it. That's the answer we are, that we are looking for. I don't know how many for a decade that I was, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep for three days. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rhinoplasty podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. It's such a pleasure to have you guys from all around the world listening to our weekly podcast. This is season two. We're in the month of June, which is proudly brought to us by Vectra from Canfield Scientific. Vectra this makes this really amazing 3D uh, camera system for us to morph, morph pictures, etc. So the month I've called it the Evolvers, and there's some really interesting uh, guests we've had on the show, and, and really why have I called the Evolvers? These are guys who, who've been in the game for a while, but they keep being on top of their game. And today we have the honor and privilege of having a guest all the way from Istanbul in Turkey, none other then Tio Dogan. Tio, welcome to today's show. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. So Tio, it's, it's so interesting to be able to spend some time chatting to you. I, my first question to, to you is how did you get involved with where you're at now, being one of the foremost teachers of rhinoplasty? So how did you get into plastic surgery? Just tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, I, well, I have a story why I'm a plastic surgeon, and this is the story starts in like uh, in South Africa, actually. And you know, I was I was eleven. I had an accident, and I passed my hand from the from the window because we were running something, and the window came on my face. I put my hand something like this. I there was a big crash, blood everywhere. I remember that my radial artery, like, you know, <laughs> I saw the arterial flow in my hand. Wow. And, you know, this night, it, we were in the, middle, in the middle of nowhere in South Third Summer. And there was a general surgeon who operated me. Well, I was operated twice that night. But, you know, finally, general surgeon, like, uh, after hours, he operated me. He, he had no idea about sand surgery. We are talking about uh, 1979. And the guy, he sutured my ulnar nerve to a tendon. And on the other way, it's reverse. And all tendons somewhere and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, and then my hands become, became infected. I remember the pus coming from my hands, stuff like this. And then in Istanbul, then after months, I've been operated by a plastic surgeon who was trained in South Africa, Dr. Fethi Orak, and he was an excellent hand surgeon. He was, he was a plastic surgeon and hand surgeon, microsurgeon. And for these years, you know, that was something very unusual. And he operated me again after like six months. In a year, I had two more operations by him. And, you know, I, I had all in our injury. I had all my tendons cut in my right hand. And you can still see, I'm, wow. I'm almost still a little bit crippled. Yeah. Uh, I have tendon transverse on my right hand. And all this knowledge came from South Africa. He was trained there. And yeah, and now, yeah, my hand works, but I'm not 100% uh, well, like other hand. 
Well, if, imagine you at a 100% what it'd be like, because you do pretty amazing stuff with, with what your hands are at the moment. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some hard questions, okay? I don't want you to feel uncomfortable right. about this. So the first question, like if you, if you look at your Instagram stuff, everything, um, everything is Tio. Why Tio? Is this about you or why do you want to do this the whole time? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, we are as surgeons, especially aesthetic surgeons, we are all a little bit narcissistic. That's, that's cool. I mean, we have to accept it. We are here, we are doing this job. This is a crazy job because we, we all have a little bit of narcissistic traits. That's good. That's going to help us in our job. But the, the problem starts when you have narcissistic uh, personality uh, disorders. Uh, then that, that's a problem. But of course, I'm a little bit narcissistic, like most of us, I can say. Uh, but the true reason why I name everything Theo, my technique, my instruments, my suture, I don't know, my graft, everything Theo, 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 Theo. The reason is not really exactly like uh, I'm a narcissistic. Uh, the true reason is, in my past experience, I learned that if I don't really name something, then somebody else will name it. But it's not going to my name, but it is going to be his name. Uh, you know, I lost so many ideas of mine in my uh, past that at one point I said, one day I said, now I will name everything my name. That's the end. I will never give any idea to anybody else. No, that's cool. So I'm sorry for naming it. Yeah. No, you don't have to apologize. It. No, by, by no means. So, I mean, I know that you, you, you run lots of courses and stuff and the criticism has been leveled to you to say, oh, it's cool just to be this doctor who does work on courses and education. But in the real world, you're not actually operating. What's your response to critics like that? Uh, yeah, I'm not very active like uh, many other surgeons because uh, I, I don't work so much. I work like maybe eight months a year, uh, four months, even more. I'm off. I don't, I do, I windsurf. And when I work, I will work like maybe maximum of three days a week. I will not work uh, seven, five days, seven days, you know. Uh, so I rarely work. <laughs> I mostly... I'm, I'm mostly either windsurfing, traveling, uh, doing nothing, spending some time. So uh, now most of most of the work I do is going to be in my educational courses. Like I have fellows, then I will do four days of fellowship. I do now almost like weekly. I do this. I have five fellows, four days. I take them. We start in the morning, course every day. I talk, talk. Then we go together to the operating theater. I operate. Then we go having a drink somewhere and talk again, again. Four days is full, full, full. Then, then I work. Then I will do four surgeries, full day. Or I have a cadaver course. It's going to be like three days. Again, I will talk, talk, talk. And then we, we, we go to the cadaver lab last day. It's a full day. It's a real work. So uh, a question. So we how with patients. Sorry, our, our, yeah, okay. our, our, yeah. I just want to ask you one question before we go further on the course, on the courses themselves. I mean, we have listeners from like 70 countries around the world listening to the show. How can they actually get hold of either to try and attend one of your courses or if you offer virtual courses? 
I don't, I don't like the virtual courses. Uh, I try to be like, it's, I think it's surgery. I mean, it's, it's medicine. We, we, we have to be uh, in face-to-face. I have to touch the guy and the guys must see and touch me and ask me directly his questions uh, by seeing this. This is the best way. Uh, I try to do everything uh, in, in real life. So what I do, I, I have fellow courses and I have cadaver courses and I'm going to have my, in June, I'm going to have a, a real big, like a Congress, I can say, in Hilton Hotel. And I will be live surgeries. I will do four live surgeries and I will talk about my course and everything in, 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 uh, in, in, in two weeks time. So, but uh, other than this, really, uh, I have my book and I try to show a little bit of what I do in Instagram as well about technique. Yeah. And, and Tio, in terms of just like your private practice where you're not teaching, how big is that? Where you're actually just operating on patients that come and see you and get operated by you? Yeah, I, I will, of course, accept some patients for operation. But, you know, mostly, most of the patients I operate now are going to be in my courses. Brilliant. So, yeah. So it's, it was a dream for me to, to really operate the patients that choose I'm going to operate this, this, this patient, not because of the deformity, but because of the mostly like psychology. So in private practice was always a little bit hard for me. Now I, I'm, I feel a little bit free for this. Okay. So, so I operate a lot, but with all, with, always with my fellows. So in the program. So when are you going to come and do a tear rhinoplasty course here at Edge Day Hospital in South Africa? <laughs> Anytime you guys invite me, I would love to come to South Africa. I have a like uh, I have a uh, relation in my heart with South Africa and your hands because that's yeah. the guy who, who fixed your hands. Yeah, that's okay. That's, that's no, why we'll make I a plan. That. So I'll just even give a yeah. shout out, listeners. Watch, keep keep an eye on this. We're going to have a course in South Africa for sure. Okay, another question. So this is a bit of a controversial one as well. Apparently, and I don't know if this is a joke or not. You've said that. Uh, you can do the same steps in a rhinoplasty and solve all problems in all cases. So what's wrong with it? Tell me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I understand. Because the general teaching says there are many deformities. And for each deformities, there are many solutions. So a surgeon armamentarium must be large. And you have to know the, all of them. And you have to choose according to patients. Well, that sounds logic. I understand. And I believed this for many, many years. But after some experience, I realized, in fact, I always do the same. I, I see my friends. They are always doing actually the same thing. But, you know, then they change the technique from one patient to, to another. But I never understand the real indication for it. One technique will work actually for all the deformities and the other one. For my case, for, for what I did, uh, at the end of most surgery, if you ask me, Theo, have you done a, a deep projection or uh, uh, projection or deprojection, rotation or derotation during this operation? At the end of surgery, sometimes I, I cannot tell you exactly what I did. I have to see the photo before and after, and I can say, yeah, this is a deprojection, or I projected. Because I don't care. At the end, in my technique, I'm going to have the tail strut, and I'm going to put my tip on the tail set somewhere. If I tail set, I put it that way, it's going to be deprojection, that way, projection, uh, rotation and derotation. Or projection, I will put my tip on the tip of the graph, that's going to be 
projection or down is going to be the projection. What I do in the, in the operation, I try to see what I do. And I try to make something that I like myself. I say, oh, it's good. Then I stop there. I don't care if this the projection or projection. That's why I always do the same thing at the end. But the result is going to be different. You understand? So the question is, are you more inclined to want to see what you feel is the best for that patient? Or if the patient comes and they are asking a, a, a result that you don't like, would you then not operate on that patient? Or how, how do you try and make that work? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, at the end, I learned with my experience. If at the end of surgery, if I don't like what I did, no matter what patient asked me to do, at the end, he or she, the patient, and nobody else will like it. That's my rule. You know, when I, at the end of surgery, I must be very happy of what I did. I must say, yeah, it's a good surgery. I'm the man. I did it. Blah, blah, blah. Then everybody likes it. If, if not, if not, if she says, I don't want projection, keep it down, da, 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 hump, don't touch my hump, something like this. And I, I can guarantee at the end, she's not going to be happy. And she's going to say, why did you do this? But I said, but you, you told me to, to, to do that. And anything said before, we'd be forgotten after surgery. So if somebody says something like this, I said, not me, go to somewhere else. If you are going to operate it by me, please leave me alone for, in my decisions. Just check my Instagram. If you like what I did, then I'm going to do something like this, but I don't know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to do my best for you, and I'm going to do something that at the end, I will be very happy of it. That's all I can say. That's cool. Are you in? I do it. You are not. Okay. So tell us about the worst day of rhinoplasty in your history. And then you tell me <laughs> oh what the God. best day of rhinoplasty was for you. <laughs> Uh, worst day of rhinoplasty will be probably uh, after years, after years of experience, and the end of rhinoplasty that I think, I know that the tip will fall. Because there was a point in my career that no matter what I did, at the end, I always lost some projection. And loss of projection is not only the, uh, uh, a diameter, that, uh, a measurement that you lose, but all the tip will collapse and you lose everything on the tip. And tip is the beauty of rhinoplasty. So I, I hate it many, many times that each time I knew that I'm going to lose it. That's why I started this terostrat thing so that I will never lose my projection again. And my happiest day was the day with all my team, I put the terostrat I finished the surgery and we said, that's it. That's the answer we are, that we are looking for. I don't know how many for a decade that I was, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep for three days. <laughs> and no, th that's true. And, and that craft, I know, I knew it for maybe 15 years. It's not, it was not the first time I was using it. I was only using it in my secondary cases, very difficult cases, things like that. I don't know why I delayed it so much. Uh, it was a, it was a, a revision of mine. I did it. I was. I said, oh, I'm so stupid not to using it in since today in my old cases. But now you, now the cool thing about it is it's taking you so long to learn that, but you just are sharing your knowledge, which is really wonderful. Eh? So I, I have another yeah, question. In the last say ten or twenty years, Turkey has just 
like grown as like the rhinoplasty place to go. So the <laughs> yeah. two questions around this is why, but then within that space, obviously it's, uh, uh, there's a lot of guys who like, you're world famous on your own website, you know? So yet there's a handful of surgeons in Turkey who are really, really good. So I have two parts. What what caused Turkey to become so good and like the, 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 the main place for rhinoplasty in the world? And secondly, what's the difference between the really top guys and the guys who are not quite as good in Turkey? Uh, yeah, first of all, about the story of Turkey is uh, it's all about social media. You know, because what we do is this aesthetic surgery part, the rhinoplasty is something that you, you need nothing. You need just few instruments a good nurse, a good anesthesiologist, and you do the job. And if you can show what I did freely, if you are free in your job, a Turkish guy had starts to work. You know, freedom is very important. Uh, and if if I can show the the world what I do without any, I say filters. Like think about like 15 years ago, I'm a good surgeon, but you will never know my name. Yeah, whatever I do, because I will go to the guy. I will say, "Can I present in your present in your yard? You are doing the congress." I will say, "Can I present?" The guy will say, "Are you talking to me?" Yeah. Who are you? Get out of here! You are not from my team. Yes. You understand what yes. I mean? Yes. But now it's finished. These guys are, are, are they, they dissolve, they disappear. Now I do something, and you see me, and I can see you. That's. That's why Turkish plastic surgery exploded a lot. Also, in on on the world, there are many many surgeons that normally you will never normally you will never know my name. Yeah, that's 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 the okay. And then the second question in terms of like guys like yourself and Gokshal and Barish and Fazal and these guys who who really made a name for themselves. What do you think kind of has set those kind of guys apart from most of the facial plastic surgeons in in Turkey? Yeah, I think there are, especially the young generation is they're so good. I mean, I can tell you, you know, there are many guys now around me. They just, they always followed me. They are very, very good. They just uh, learned my technique. And I can tell you, these guys, they are better than me now. They are, they are doing the job, my technique, better than I, I can do. They are so good. I mean, their results, excellent results. You can you can see them in on, on the... Uh, on the Instagram, just follow the, the hashtag Theorhinoplasty, something like this. You will see these guys are excellent surgeons. And, but you know, they are not now so popular. Maybe this is also a little bit of how to use the social media, a little bit of your age, maybe. But you know, there, there is a generation coming very strongly in uh, in Turkey. So okay, so let's let's imagine there's some patients listening on the podcast, and they are searching to try and find um, a good rhinoplasty surgeon. What are some of the tips that you would want to tell somebody when they're searching for someone who is trustworthy, who will help them, and who will be with them for? if things go wrong, complications. But I, I, let me just be quiet. Tell me, if I'm a patient, I want to know what's a good, who's a good rhinoplasty surgeon, what's your advice? Uh, yeah, it's, I think choosing a doctor for a- anything uh, is very difficult. Even, even when I choose a doctor, I have difficulties. It's, it's something very personal. 
Uh, if we are talking about aesthetic surgery, and especially we are talking about rhinoplasty, it's something very, very, very personal. Uh, but what I can say, uh, I will definitely go to Instagram. I will definitely look to the past, what this guy had it. Uh, I will definitely try to see the personality behind. I think this is very important. Uh, a good surgeon, um, it's not only a good result, but it's a, how can I say, it's a, it's a personality, it's a way of presenting himself. It's, it's a uh, way of behaviors. Uh, something that you can smell, not always see. I will check for this. I will check the good surgeon, good doctor, good human, and good results, of course. And I will look for the style. Also, style differs between patients. And anything that will I will feel like uh, insincere, like a uh, little bit marketing, I will stay away. I think this is very important to be... So to be open. No, that's great. Eh? I think it's important. And I want to come and come back to one of those points just now. But if if I were to ask you now on the, the first part is to if you look back over the last 20 years um, of rhinoplasty around the world, what are some of the big tickets that have stood out for you um, that have happened in the last 20 years that you think have been major milestones in rhinoplasty? Yeah. Yeah, this, I, will, I, will, I will say the same thing. Uh, I think rhinoplasty, uh, about 20 years ago, for a long time, stopped its uh, progress. Yeah, for, I can say, like, uh, for, for years, you know, we stayed in the same point. There was no progress at all. This, and the, the, the reason was, like I told you, you know, some groups control some uh, Congress and the Congress and journals are the only way that one surgeon will be aware of another surgeon, another technique, another of way of thinking. So our vision started to get really narrow and everybody started to believe the same things. Like uh, this works and this doesn't work. You can say this, but you cannot say this. This is it, but not this. So. Uh, we need to be a little bit open in our minds to, to get in some progress. And you don't see anybody else but the same guys. And the same guys always say the same things, the same slides, the same patients that I see in all uh, Congress. And for a while, I stopped going to, uh, to any Congress. I said, I will stop it. Because each time I'm, I, I go to a Congress, I have a lot to say. I can't. I come back. I'm, for three days, I'm so depressed. I said, I will stop it. And believe me, that helped me a lot. But now it changed. After social media, for all, of, all, all around the world, uh, I think social media helped a lot to awake the people. Like awakening. It was a ring that everybody said, yeah, okay, of course there's a knowledge. There's, a, uh, there's something that we learned. We know, but let's... Let's think again, let's leave it open, let's try different things. And, you know, rhinoplasty is a very interesting subject. So there are a lot to talk on on, uh, on it. So, okay, I mean, that, that's, that's fascinating. I think it does have really, it's opened the platforms, especially over the last two years with COVID and now having all these kind of virtual conferences, et cetera, et cetera. So looking 
into the future. Where do you think rhinoplasty is going in the next 20 years? You are not going to happy of what I, I will say. Uh, I think for, for the short term, rhinoplasty is going to be much better. I think now we solve the problem. You know, we know, we know what is going on in the noise. And we know now how it works. I can tell you. Uh, but I think for the rhinoplasty itself, for the long term, let's say like 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 100 years. And I think this surgery will be like, our instruments will be in the museums and people are going to come and in the museum, they will say, oh my God, they were breaking the bones with this. Oh my God, they will say, they will love, they will love what, what we are doing now. There is no future of rhinoplasty, I believe. Uh, I think rhinoplasty is going to be quite technical with some instruments that will shape the bones and cut it a little bit. And it's going to be something like, uh, how can I say, like uh, something like low class. If you have a noise job done in the society, you're going to say, okay, like it's like, I don't know, having uh, boobs of 900 cc boobs, something like this. In, in, the, in the long term, because people, we created this demand. We created the demand of rhinoplasty and people one day are going to say, okay, I mean, it's nonsense because it's going to be, so easy and everybody gonna have rhinoplasty easily in uh, 45 minutes all noises are will be done perfectly all dimensions and then there will be no meaning of doing this that's interesting eh? because it's a it's a it's not an easy operation i mean it takes years to become good at rhinoplasty um I think maybe you running all these courses is 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 disseminating knowledge so that a lot more guys can operate a lot better than they do at the moment because I think one of the things that you speak about that it used to be conferences and if you're not in that inner circle you can't present at a conference and etc but I think it's also like that about not sharing knowledge in many ways and what where social media has changed that now that you can go and share your knowledge but previously it was just this elite group of people who had the ability and the knowledge to do that surgery well you know True that. I mean, so that's why now the, the knowledge is, uh, is exploding. Everybody can put something on it and all the world will see it immediately. Uh, if that works, everybody going to use it. If not, nobody going to use it. And that will give the development. Okay, but now try and explain to me this. How do we try and be scientific about the knowledge and not just putting knowledge out there for the sake of in my hands you know how can we that's the hard part this wrestle between something that's actually scientific and works and this is just the latest fad or opinion i mean let's let's really talk about this big elephant in the room preservation rhinoplasty something that was done more than 100 years ago eves have been pushing it for 20 years and now in the last few years suddenly it's the thing that everybody's doing I'm very interested to know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, Cameron, come on. L let's first accept that what we do is not science. We are not scientists. We are not artists. We are just technicians. Okay. In my opinion, you know, I don't know. My, my, my friends and my colleagues, they can take them for artists or big scientists. I, I, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, and that's why what our uh, uh, teaching or I don't know, maybe even papers, scientific papers that we publish are not really scientific. 
We are talking about something that I do this and I like it. Do you like it? Good photo, then it's good. So there is no science in it. We, we can't really measure. We can't really compare what we do. I, I read lots of articles uh, about like very scientific, you know, with data and everything and graphs and everything, all about the uh, about the tip. Uh, you know, shall we do this or this? If if you ask me, you know, it means nothing to me. You know, I will just want to see the photo if that works. I see the photo, it works, I'm very curious about it, and I want to learn it. Otherwise, you know, measurements, data, statistics, in our job, I don't think, well, yeah, we are not hematologists. Yes. Or, I don't know, some something else. <laughs> We don't deal with cancer. Hematology was for me the most difficult subject in medicine. Yeah, me too. So. <laughs> no, they're scientists. Hey, as, yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting chatting to you. You know, you're kind of giving us a whole lot of left field stuff here, stuff that uh, it's controversial, but it's good. You know, these are the things we need to talk about. So, yeah, I think we need to digest a lot of what you've said. Um, two, two last questions, like on a technical side, you know, like Vectra bringing us this, um, enabling this thing this uh, podcast at least, how of, t tell me a little bit about 2D or 3D and morphing, et cetera. Do you use that much? Um, yeah, share a bit of the knowledge with the listeners. Uh, Vector, I never used it because, you know, when I started, I, I really wanted to buy the Vector, but I didn't have money. So Vector, I know Vector is a, is a very good system. So, you know, but now I stopped doing this, uh, you know, pre or post-op for the patients. You know, I'm too old. You know, in my age, I think uh, I, I can stop this. I said, Theo, now you can stop this. I just tell to my patients, look to the Instagram. I will do something like this. And if you like it, come, I do that. But I think Vector is, is a very good system, uh, for sure. You know, it was a dream for all of us when, when we started. Okay, cool. So uh, I, I, Then I used Photoshop for a while, then I stopped. Okay, so I have, I have two more kind of questions that I want to ask you. So there's listeners around the world. There's guys like in far-flung countries who aren't, um, don't have the exposure of being able to necessarily come on courses, etc. What would your advice to be for a guy who's, who's really far away from being able to get help, but he really wants to make rhinoplasty the thing that he's known for? So what would your advice to be to somebody like that who's listening to the show? Uh, yeah, you know... It's not always like you have to come and see the, the, the operation, something. Of course, it's going to be a good way or go to the cadaver, work with the surgeon and it's going to show you. But we can learn a lot about ourselves by just reading the books. I think reading is still the main uh, teaching method for all of us. And if you have the book, you read it, then you, you, can, you can do technique. Like my book, I wrote it. That so that somebody can read it about like in two hours. So so you can read it again and again, and then it's very simple. I mean, do this, don't do this. I do this. Pass the suture like this. Two two photos, one drawing, and you're gonna understand. I mean, as a surgeon, it's all these small manipulations that we can all actually do. There is nothing like it's not rocket science. And I think a good surgeon. I mean. An experienced surgeon, a good, well-trained surgeon, after like two, three years after, of when, when he finishes uh, training, by just reading books, 
watching some some videos on the on the YouTube, which is also great now. We can watch many many videos. A uh, little bit doing his search on the Instagram, he can find his way and uh, do his surgery. But I believe the most important thing in rhinoplasty is technique. It's not our hands. We don't have golden fingers, like I'm almost crippled. And we, uh, you know, it's, it's something here that you have to understand the dynamic of what, what you are doing. And you must choose the best technique. You must choose the technique. Here, you make the difference of yourself. You know, and, and then you, you use this technique properly, and I guarantee you, you're going to have a good result at the end. And in all your case, almost all your case, let's say, not 100, but, you know, close to 100%, you can have very good results. So coming back to your book, how do people get hold of that? Uh, so it's, it's a self-published book. So uh, you can only buy in my website. It's theorhinoplasty.com and just go there and we, 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 we're going to ship to everywhere on earth. Fantastic. Okay, guys, so make sure you go to theorhinoplasty.com and get the book, get instruments, learn about the courses. What an interesting man this is. Tio, so okay, you are passionate about rhinoplasty. You're an exceptional teacher. But... What is that one thing that you love most about rhinoplasty? Yeah, rhinoplasty is it's like a, you know, uh, rhinoplasty is different. I mean, I, I did lots of surgeries. I, I, I was trained for microsurgery, hand surgery, and then did, 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 but you know, at the end, I did lots of aesthetic surgery. I did face I loved all the body workout, everything. But rhinoplasty is like a, I can say, I, I see this in all my uh, friends as well. It's different. I mean, uh, we all want to be good in rhinoplasty more than anything else. All plastic surgeons, all rhinosurgeons, as, as, as far as I can see. So it's, I don't know why there's something psychologic in, in rhinoplasty that attracts each all of us. And so... Yeah, I, lo I love this surgery a lot. And I now I only do rhinoplasty. I stopped doing anything else. I did lots of facelifts and other stuff uh, in the past. Now I refuse all patients. I only do I, I only do primary rhinoplasty. No secondary is nothing. Primary, proper rhinoplasty. That's all I do. Yes. So guys, there you have it, eh? What an interesting 35 minutes of chatting to one of the leaders of this field. Tio, thank you so much um, on behalf from myself, but also on behalf of all the listeners. And a shout out to Vector again for enabling today's um, episode. Guys, make sure you come back next week. We've got some really interesting other people lined up. So Tio, thank you. May you have a fantastic year. And uh, I hope you oversubscribe to your courses and then you're going to have to come to South Africa and do one here. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. It was great. 